I'm, oh my god, what am I doing playing the tin sandwich? Welcome to Creative Writing, where it might get a little weird, but it's always motorcycle related. Your host. Listen, I can barely tie a shoe, let alone figure out this thing. And isn't that funny how people say not to be an asshole, but I've seen them go on to be an asshole. Oh, baby. I don't know, did it wheelie? I can't tell if he's just revving the motor and being a jerkwad. My skin met the asphalt. But these new new ways kit my... All right, a couple of blurbs. Whatever they do with cocaine. The guests. The first bike I ever bought was originally hanging from the rafters in his garage. It's a cafe racer with alloy makes, racing tank and clip-ons and all that jazz. And the thing's beautiful. I just love the way the Norton sounds. The Soma actually was purchased by uh, the Barber Vintage Motorsports Museum. Right. So that's where she lives now. Oh, man, bro. I was doing 200 miles an hour, and my fingers are coming off the grips. This is in and out of traffic. Um, I got to wheelie through an intersection on that. <laughs> Rad. Yeah, it was a little unexpected, but I got some applause from the homeless guy at the bus de- bus bench. That was pretty fun. I think my dad first gave me my first motorcycle, which was a Peewee 80, when I was four years old. And the first thing I did was loop it in the bushes, showing mum how cool it was. Um, but I learned the lesson that if you're going to take something like that off-road and really abuse the hell out of it, it, it doesn't... It's not really roadworthy after that. <laughs> All season, my bike's been having a problem hopping off the starting line. Like the back end of the bike will hop real bad and I'll have to let off the gas and get back in it. And I would go to Jesse's and hang out upstairs in the old building at West Coast Choppers. And he'd let me sit there and just watch him. Oh, well, hell. Welcome to episode 52 of Creative Writing, everybody. How the hell are you? It has been a crazy one here at the Creative Writing Shack Shanty and Studios, the three S's of fun. And yeah, so to get into this episode, uh, I'm learning to play the harmonica in order to make more great tunes. And uh, zero responses yet to if you guys want to hear like all the podcast music all in one place. But, uh, you know, I, I was listening to the Stock is for Squares or Stock versus Squares. I like that better podcast. And I noticed they were using some of my stuff. Guys, I promised I would make some more and I will. I've just been out to my ass. I've been busier than a one-legged man in a jumping contest um, or a one-legged man in an ass-kicking contest or a one-armed man in an alligator wrestling contest. i just been literally up to my... Hmm. Well, I stand at work, so what am I up to? I'm up to my ankle bones in work right now, and I just can't uh, seem to muster up any free time. Really busy time of the year. Uh, holidays are coming up. Winter is coming. Well, I've heard that before somewhere. I can't think of where. But anyway, yeah, there's a lot of stuff happening for all of you, for all of us out there. And uh, this time of the year gets pretty busy with Christmas and New Year's and Halloween and Thanksgiving, all in that order. And um, unless my calendar is wrong here, that's how it goes. But anyway, yeah, it's been a, one hell of a week. I'm actually recording this a little bit later tonight than I normally do. It is uh, 14 o'clock 
and um, I had an interview set up and I had to cancel. I was that busy today, if you can believe it. What do I do around the Maison du Creative Writing all day? Well, I'll tell you. then i eat a tin sandwich oh god that was like the worst song ever but hey so yeah what do i do all day well i work all day and then i get off work all day and then i sleep the rest of the day and then i dream of all the fancy things i would do if i had a billion dollars and no job and just got to put all my crazy ideas into and to uh, realize my crazy dreams. Oh, geez. And then I hit the microphone because I'm pissed at it. Mm, fuck you, Mike. I'll drop a bitch named Mike. Mm. Yeah, well. Oh, your last name's Rofone. Oh, I'm sorry. So, yeah, anyway, I've been thinking a lot lately while I've been toiling away at work and then uh, really not having the time that I want to have at home about what the hell I'm going to do this winter. See, California doesn't technically have a winter unless you live in NorCal. It has rained a couple times here this this month, which we really need. Uh, but the rainy season shall be upon us soon. We're blessed this week with the fucking heat wave. Um, I'll try to bleep that out for the kids. We're blessed this week with the fucking wave. So I really shouldn't be complaining while other parts of the country are gearing up for winter. We're blessed with more nice weather. It's it's late at night now. It's like I said, 1403. And I was thinking about going for a ride a little bit ago because uh, in other parts of the country, if you were to go to a ride for a ride right now, I think you'd be a popsicle. So yeah, that's what's happening here in SoCal. The other thing that happened this week, big news across the nation, huge. I mean, this is like worldwide effect that's uh, happening because of this one thing that went down, this huge event. We all know ICMA happened. And ICMA, of course, is uh, every every uh, podcast, website, moto journal, magazine, moto blog, everybody is up on Ikema's shit or was up on Ikema's shit. I'm recording this later in the week than I normally do. It is Frathrai's day um, at 1409 p.m. A, PMA, for all of these that don't know the PMA. And uh, anyway, yeah, so Ikema happened and I tried to throw up a link to the Ducati world thing that was happening because that looks pretty... And I know it's just Ducati stuff, and I know it's just overpriced, overglorified sport bike stuff that really doesn't race that well and doesn't handle that well. I mean, we're talking V-Twin. Uh, you know, I don't know. They're, they're Ducati, Ducatistas, you have to admit that not many people have handled the Ducati well on the racetrack, but they sure do make one hell of a sexy bike for the street consumer just a little bit pricey you know what i mean but it it still did make me feel a little bit (laughs) and i have to admit that i do dig some of the stuff that they're coming out with i feel like everybody is coming out with a a retro theme 
And I I thought I had missed the bus. I said earlier this year that I was pretty sure that the OEs had jumped on this tracker thing too late. But the retro theme seems to be kind of taking off. And and it's a mixture, I think. The scrambler, uh, pardon me, scrambler slash tracker thing. Okay, it's going out. People are getting into choppers. But I recently changed my mind and i think that the the classic thing is really catching on for whatever reason and that's going to bring us to the first segment of this show called the first segment well what i was thinking about was this um with eichma going on right now every other show is covering eichma so i'm really not gonna do too much of that and uh fuck up my own thunder trying to steal everybody else's but i will say this that there have been a lot of talk lately about BMW using modular frames. And now with the Ducati Scrambler line coming out, they're modularizing their, that bike. And what we've got is unit-based models that are easy to churn out. And that's important for a few reasons. I've marked them down here as I've thought about them. So the heritage that plays right into the heritage line, these new modular bikes and the new way that they're kind of building on top of a platform rather than doing a whole development bike and the heritage line for whatever is seeming to grow uh not so much cafe racer i mean that style did kind of fade but the heritage getting back into what cafe racers were before they were modified into a cafe racer has kind of caught on again now here's the deal modular modular frames and heritage bikes they make it easy for people to customize and that's what that's how the whole motorcycle scene started because back in the day you had basically model probably you know you had an engine and a suspension platform and there wasn't very much to build off besides that you had a bigger engine or you, you had a smaller engine and that was basically it some of the bigger engines started to get better suspensions and whatnot but way back in the day motorcycles were really just the engine size was about the only difference in you know wango tango wing bling and all this and that you know you're basically getting the same thing no matter what size motorcycle you got just the only difference was the power output so the modular frame kind of movement now is making that available again to people because you you see it with the Scout and the Scout 60. You see it with the Scrambler and the Scrambler 62. And you just see all these things getting pared down. And even the Scrambler and Scrambler 62, there's not that much of a weight or weight difference and all that stuff. It's just the size of the engine and the output. Uh, we'll kind of get into how... The stuff coming from Europe this year, it plays into that. But for right now, let's stick to this. So it's easy to make, uh, like I said, it's easy to customize for for your customer who who is the end product. But also, it makes it easy for your uh, the factory to do, you know, a couple of parts here and there. And boom, you got a new model. You know what I mean? So it's it's mixed tooling and it makes the cost of introducing a new model in this market where the cost is way outweighs quality, you know, and way outweighs variety. Nowadays, you're looking at the cost of stuff, how much it's going to cost because we've already outsourced the lowest labor and stuff we can to most other countries. And Harley Davidson moving to India is, a, you know, they're one of the last holdouts to be building stuff here in, in the in their native country. You know, the States, they're even building stuff in India 
India now. So a lot of offshoring. So we're already paring down to the cheapest labor we can get. And I'm not 100% sure about the um, the materials, but you know, let's just say we've we've minimized all the costs, and now what we can't really cut anything more, and we want to introduce new models. Modular is definitely the way to go. Going modular also makes it much easier for aftermarket multi-fit parts. Now you only have to make mirrors or something. You know, mirrors is pretty easy, but let's say you want to make a light bar or something, or you want to add some turn signals or even an exhaust. You don't have to figure out how to work around all these frame things, and you don't have to figure out different geometry for every single thing you want to make. You've got your basic frame dimensions. You know all the models in this line are going to follow that. Now you can make exhaust, taillights, fenders, whatever you're going to make for it, you know, whatever Wango Tango stuff people are looking for. And like I said before, it reduces the tooling cost for the OEs and it kind of plays right into the heritage side of stuff, which is like making a huge comeback right now. Now the heritage bikes, the reason I think I kind of like this movement is because they give a new lease on life to old classics. They fix the bikes that the old problems have while retaining the same sort of looks. And a lot of times you'll think how great it is to own a vintage. Oh, I have a vintage bike. I have a vintage bike. Yeah, that's great until you have to clean the carbs and you have to, or have to sink four carbs. And then you have like four rotting vacuum tubes or you don't have ABS. And, and I, I'm not knocking ABS and all that stuff because it's a great thing. I, I know I've said in the past like how much technology is taking over bikes, but in a way, it's upgrading them to you know our current status quo and the current uh, you know safety standards and things like that. It really does give a new lease on life to these old looking bikes and brings them into the 20th century, 21st century um, with rider aids and stuff that are expected on bikes. So you're not, you're getting all the great stuff that comes on new bikes and uh, safety features and all this and that. And it's really nice not to lock up your tire, like in the middle of an intersection or something when you get too hard on the rear brake, like it coming from somebody that owns old bikes and, um, you know, this carb thing and the brake thing. I mean, it'd be great to be able to ride my motorcycle way up into the hills and not have to worry about like rejetting and having it burn the piss out of it down here at sea level. And then like, you know, going or going super rich when I get up into the hills. So, you know, fuel injection, ABS, you can cook it into corners now and not lose the front end. You know what I mean? A lot of low sides happen because of lack of ABS. So it's really kind of cool. And the fact that there's traction control and slide control on the super high end sport bikes and stuff, you go back to the sport bikes of like the seventies and eighties and even the nineties. And that's why they're saying you get on the throttle too hard and those things will tear you right off is because yeah, you're going to high side, you're going to low side, you're going to loop it. And so it's kind of nice to have these things on these bikes that emulate basically what it was like to be, you know, back then. You really do get the best of both worlds, in my opinion. It fixes the problems that the old bikes had. Better suspensions, all that great stuff. Try to take an old bike scrambling and take a new scrambler scrambling. And even though the new scramblers are way bigger, uh, I can guarantee that the suspension's way more dialed in, even if they are just as heavy and they bottom out still. But think about it this way too. All these movies are re getting rebooted. They're remaking every damn movie they ever made. And some of them they've remade two and three times. And why they they want to update the look they want to update the actors they want to update 
uh, a classic to make it modern. Sometimes now we have these technologies in movies too, like CGI and special effects, and you don't even have to shoot outside anymore. You can do it all on a green screen and add in a bunch of stuff later, um, blowing up buildings and cars flipping over and cars jumping across the Grand Canyon and stuff. I mean, you can do that stuff nowadays with movies and it's the same sort of thing with bikes. They're just, they're getting upgraded for a newer generation that expects a little bit more and doesn't just deal with the crappy special effects that they were given land of the lost when they were kids. So yeah, it's sort of the same thing that's happening in just society in general. We see the same themes playing out in society over and over. So why, why wouldn't we expect that from a product? You know what I mean? If we still had green screen computers, and monitors that weighed 700 pounds, I don't think anybody would want a PC. But now that you can get, you know, a damn TV and that's, you know, weighs 10 pounds and is as thin as a laptop, you know, think about it. The future is really nice. And the, the way things work now and everything is so uh, modular in life, it kind of makes sense. And basically going back to the modular theme and these heritage bikes, early bikes were modular. I would say, you know, that's how the old bikes, um, you threw dirt tires on your BSA. Well, now you got a scrambler or you throw a fairing on it. Well, now you got a road racer. And I think that that is a really key thing, uh, that the manufacturers are doing, unless it's sport bike or crazy concept bike, they're kind of getting back to the basics of what bike building used to be back in the day. You had a frame, you had a motor and you bolted whatever specialty thing you wanted to on top of that. Now let's talk a little bit about the stuff that's coming out of EICMA um, or that has been coming out. BMW has been getting a lot of praise. Oh, their modular frame of the R9T lets them do so much stuff, blah, blah, blah. Well, uh, old bikes have been, did that forever. Uh, you, you put th- you threw clip-ons in it and uh, rear sets and now it's a cafe racer, right? And Uh, Harley's been doing it forever with their Sportsters. They do a little bit different uh, suspension and instrument cluster and tank, and you got a different model. But the frame is basically the same. And, you know, a lot of bikes already were, quote, modular and uh, have been using stuff. You know, the Triumphs, I I don't know. The Triumph has just had this old heritage line. They've had the uh, original scrambler that's carried up through the ages before everybody went back to scramblers. And I would say that their Bonnie line is, you know, you, you got the cruiser Bonnevilles, you got the T100s, you got the, the scramblers that you, you can get cafe kits. I mean, I mean, even with the new street line that came out, everything is modular for them as well. And, uh, you know, BMW, of course, coming out with the, the Lacros concept has turned into the Urban GS based off the R9T. It looks like an old uh, R100 or R80 GS or something like that. Pretty bitchin' looking bike. Uh, also on that vein, the Scrambler, Ducati Scrambler has come out with a thing they call in the Desert Sled. Based right off of the Ducati Scrambler, only it looks a little bit more like the Urban GS does too, because it has a raised up fender and uh, an old round headlight, and I think a little number plate. It just it looks the deal. It looks like an old desert sled, which is uh, basically back in the day you would take your BSA, your Harley, your Triumph, you know these big ass street bikes. Imagine taking your uh, Sportster 1200 right now 
out or even 883 out to the desert, throwing some knobbies on it and a number plate. That's what you would do back in the day. So it kind of makes sense that they're going with these modular bikes nowadays. And this desert concept bike that that's coming out from BMW and from Ducati looks pretty bitchin'. And in a uh, real quick side note, Moto Geo, if you love Jamie Robinson, which I totally love him and all his crazy Moto, Moto Geo adventures, he's coming out. Uh, he's going to be in a film after the Long Beach show uh, the night of. They're doing a little premiere of his new movie coming out with him on his modified Scrambler, which I believe is uh, pretty much what the Desert Sled is. Uh, I don't know if they if it's like the prototype for the desert sled or they just weren't calling it desert sled, but it, there's a, a movie of him going through Baja California on this thing. And if you watch the desert sled promo video, uh, on Ducati's press, uh, little world debut day when it came out on, I think it was Tuesday. Yeah. It shows him jumping and he gets off a bus and you, you're like, Oh, this is him promoting it. Well, that was a clip from the movie actually. So yeah, that's going to be pretty cool and pretty cool that you can take these bikes out and, scramble them and desert sled them and all this and that. And I think motorcyclist Ari Henning, if you watch that show, I forget what they call it on two wheels or something like that. I think they took a scrambler and like the XSR 900 or something out, which is another quote heritage line from Yamaha. Uh, you know, you take the, they took both of those out or something like that. I forget exactly what bikes they were, but maybe it was even a triumph and a Ducati scrambler, but yeah, they, they took those out and you can see that you can do stuff on them. They're just not very practical. And, uh, that's why bikes evolve. But I do like this whole movement of modular platforms and the heritage line. Cause it totally jives up and makes sense. Uh, you know, it's kind of harkens back to the days where they used to do that. Now, BMW and Ducati, not to be outdone by each other, also both came out with the Cafe Racer platforms based off of, of course, the Scrambler, Scrambler Cafe that debuted just uh, on Tuesday at the World Ducati Day thing. And um, the BMW Racer, which has been announced, you know, and we already talked about a bunch of times, sort of cafe style racing things where you've taken your plat- your base platform bike, you throw in a little uh bump seat and a half fairing on it, a little bikini fairing and voila cafe racer is born. And so, yeah, that interesting concepts and interesting way of doing stuff. And I feel, I think when I was talking about the BMW carbon frames that are coming out, I think I mentioned that they might be doing that with those as well and getting a platform for sport bikes. That's also modular and you can bolt on here and there as necessary and needed. And Yamaha's new R6, I haven't seen it in person yet. I'm looking forward to the uh, IMS show coming up because I get to go see it and drool on it. But uh, I think that is based on the R1. And they're not all going to be the same, but when you do have like fairings and frames and stuff like that, you that you can share anything to minimize cost makes it better for us, the consumer. That means more accessories that aren't model specific. And it means more, uh, you know, less, less cost that they have to spend on cowls and tooling a new frame and this and that. So it's, it's kind of exciting to see where this is going. And, you know, now if they do these modular platforms and these heritage lines, it kind of lets those old guys that haven't ridden in a hundred years or people that like the vintage look, go get a nice new bike without having to 
know how to wrench that much or without having to go through the pains of going on to Craigslist and finding one that's in decent condition, that's not rusted out and that's not halfway across the country for uh, crazily overpriced. And that's one thing I hate about living in LA. You look at all the cafe racers and stuff and it's like, oh, I, I have a CB750 and now I want 8,000 bucks for it. Well, listen, buddy, for... I could go buy a 2013 CB 1100 and it looks just the tits and it's, and it's not a 750, it's an 1100. So, uh, you know, the, on the used market, those things, I get a brand new bike and, and some of them had ABS on them, I think. So, I mean, there, you know, so go take your vintage carbureted hunk of crap. Cause I'm going to go, you know, get something that looks just like it. And, um, yeah, so I, I really dig this whole thing that's coming out and th- this whole kind of like a retro movement just cause I like retro bikes. You know, when I was like super excited when Yamaha brought the SR 400 back to the States, it's like, wow. And it's kickstart and everything. Not that that's the greatest thing, uh, kickstarting a bike when you're, you know, when it's a hundred degrees out, especially with the way the climate's been changing everywhere, you're either going to be stuck in a torrential downpour trying to kickstart it, or you're going to be blazing balls hot trying to kickstart it. And, um, so yeah, I mean, it's not the greatest thing to bring every aspect of vintage back, but it is cool to see all these old things. This movement started a couple of years ago. I really thought it was going to, uh, kind of vanished to the sidecar and eighties superbikes craze, but, uh, it's, it's staying on par. Uh, I just saw just right before I recorded this too. Um, I did see that a Yamaha CB 1100 TR, I think it was, I, I'm not hundred percent sure. I just barely got to read it, but Honda came out with a cool looking street tracker slash flat tracker that looks bitching. And if you remember the RS seven fifties, uh, back in the day, the only one I had one of those is the red, white, and blue. I think it was 2011, uh, RS. It's like a shadow 700, but it's basically like the Kawasaki Vulcan. It's a Ninja motor in it. And I think they use that motor for flat tracking. So, I mean, it, it was a cool, cool, slash kind of cruiser standard bike, not really a cruiser, more of a standard bike that, uh, you know, they flat tracked. And I always thought, man, if I ever got an old shadow, that'd be the one. But when they came out with this new CB 1100 based tracker, oh my God, it looks so bitch. And I'll try to find a picture of it and throw it up on uh, the website before this comes out. Now, speaking about vintage brands and vintage, uh, you know, stylings, let's just straight go to some vintage stuff. Uh, I heard the other day, I've, I've read a couple places that Mahindra has bought Jawa and not to be outdone. They've also bought uh, the rights to BSA. Now BSA, uh, Birmingham, Birmingham small arms is of course, hasn't made motorcycles. I think since the late sixties, maybe early seventies, but I'm pretty sure they quit making them in the late sixties. They don't make very much money. I'm not going to go ahead and read all the, uh, read all the earnings and stuff, but I know it's only like 34,000 bucks that they make a year. And that's off a of licensing to use it for t-shirts and stuff like that. I'm pretty sure. And, uh, so Mahindra has bought it and Mahindra of course is kind of like the Polaris of India. I'm pretty sure. And according to the smoke signals and carrier pigeons that I got message from, they in 2018 with so within two years they hope to be branding and selling these again. Uh, Jawa was started in Czechoslovakia, I think, in the late 20s, and moved over to India, I believe, in the late 50s or late 
to early to late 60s. So they kind of are an Indian company, kind of like Royal Enfield, which started out as British and moved to India and, uh, you know, stuff like that. So it's not likely that they'll be marketed or sold out of like India, Sri Lanka, um, I don't know about Pakistan because I don't know if India and Pakistan have trade agreements, but you know it'll it'll probably stay over in that part of Asia. So uh, doubt they'll be coming here, but it is cool that BMW and Jawa motorcycles will be manufactured again. Um, and now let's do some crazy segues from a uh, part of the show that I edited out. Oh shit! No more recording it. At 1593 PMA anymore for me, man. Either that or I need to go grab some caffeine. I need to do like a cafe racer. I feel like this is my Motorcycle Men uh, episode with all these crappy sound effects in it. Well, back from the land of the dead. Now that I have uh, eight ounces of Joe pumping through my body and it's uh, 1639 PMAC now. So, wow, it's like way late on planet Earth. I ain't got time for that shit. But yeah, you know, I was at work. So, I mean, it's kind of work related, but not really. All right. Well, that wasn't me, obviously. All right. Well. Here it is. We all know what happened this last Tuesday in America. That's right. I posted up a Joey Mac video on our Facebook page. And I got to say that I really am digging this Joey Mac character. He's kind of like Ronnie Mac, but he's actually local to me and he's doing some great stuff out in the hills out here near sand. Burn a pino. Burn your pino, eh? Yes. He's not in San Bernardino or Riverside, but he's out that way and he's out there just chucking a bike through the hills and doing all sorts of crazy cool like enduro cross sort of stuff. And there's even a video of him and his buddy doing like a little pre-gaming for enduro cross. Now, I don't know what this guy's not doing, not doing uh, enduro cross. He should be. He should be not jumping off these 25-foot rocks and climbing up 33-foot bushes and just going straight over terrain that a jet shouldn't be able to fly over. But, uh, yeah, he's just he is awesome to watch, and he can wheelie for like 14 miles while he's doing his moto vlog and... Yeah, I don't know. I really like this Joey Mac character. So go to my Facebook page. I know I posted some stuff up there. Go watch his videos. It's hilarious. And and if you're listener Paul out in Marietta area or Temecula or Springfield, wherever you live, he is kind of close to you. So yeah, I would uh, check it out and look at all that fun stuff that he's riding out there. And maybe go check it out too. I might even hit, hit it up uh, one of these days. But anyway, yeah. Joey Mac, I I love the the videos. I love the fact that it's not just all helmet cam footage. Because let's face it, there's 45 bajillion bloggers out there nowadays, and or not bloggers, I'm sorry, vloggers and uh, moto vloggers to be precise. And their stuff sucks. It's just them talking about I don't know whatever people talk about while they ride. It's just like listening to some jerkwad sit around talk about them. Wait, wait a minute. Holy crap, that's me. But you get the point. You get what I'm saying. Like, it's kind of boring. So at least he sets the camera down, does some cool, sweet jumps, has his buddies film him, and uh, has the 
what I want to say, the decency to have a little bit of skill to go ahead and do some fun stuff while you watch instead of just driving straight down the street. Hell, why, you know, an old man and a rascal could do some of these moto vlogs that exist nowadays, just not at the same speed, but basically just going straight, stopping at every stoplight and talking. Hell, an old man on my street does that all the time in his rascal. He just talks to himself while he's, I might as well just go strap a GoPro to his head and say, Hey bro, I'll meet you here at three fifteen every afternoon to be collecting that footage and making my cheddar on YouTube. You know what I'm saying? But I don't because he doesn't pop wheelies or do anything cool, like fall down or, or jump on rocks like this Joey Mac fella does. So I really like Joey Mac stuff. Even the helmet cam stuff, you're like, whoa, dude, you're riding like 15 miles an hour straight toward like an eight foot rock. And then all of a sudden he's like on top of it and then down the other side of it. And it looks like he's riding a freaking Razor scooter. He makes it look that easy. So I like I like this Joey Mac guy, if you haven't noticed. And I think it's time to start talking about movies. Good movies this time. No more crappy movie reviews for a little bit at least. But as I mentioned earlier... I know winter's coming. I know you guys got a lot some projects building up in the garage, and uh, I'd like to talk about those. And if you have any good ones, I'd like you to post them up on Facebook or email the show, and we'll we'll talk about them. But yeah, I know a lot of people have that winter project, especially now that uh, half the country is going to be in uh, uh, non-rideable riding season. It's time to start talking about storing the bikes, getting your projects done during the day but then getting wasted and enjoying a moto flick at night. So I might go over a few really good moto flicks in this episode to, uh, you know, lube the wheels a little bit of what may be coming down the pipe. Some more really shitty movie reviews of bad moto movies. And I think we're going to move out of the 70s by exploitation flicks. We're going to kind of move into like the, the 90s and aughts. Yeah, but there was some really crappy stuff made then too. Don't worry. But now I think I'd like to play us into the segment I'm going to call Good for Your Eyes, Good for Your Soul. That's what rhymes with Baboon's Butthole. Dude, I'm probably going to get fired from work tomorrow, and I'm probably not going to work with motorcycles anymore, and I'm probably going to get uninvited from the Long Beach show. It's going to be awesome. Can't wait for tomorrow. Well, tonight on Good for the Heart, Good for the Soul, That's What Rhymes with Baboon's Butthole, the movie I want to talk about on recommendation of Stock is for Squares podcast, Marcus Stretch Slade and Taylor Humongous Face Johnson said that Unchained was available on Netflix. And I'd never seen Unchained, and I never really knew the uh, etymology, if you will. That's how words are grown and formed. But the let's just pretend that FMX is a word. The, the etymology of FMX and the um, 
evolution of FMX is what I the word I was looking for. And I really never really knew the history behind it, although I knew the cast of characters involved. I didn't know they were the ones responsible, and I didn't know that two old dudes with cameras are really the ones that basically out and then the Heffernblad. And then if you didn't know what I said right there, listen to this part. They got it kicking, bros. So, yeah, those are the guys that got it started. These old guys that did, like, ski film, action sports sort of film sort of stuff. You know, they they really know how to film in, in all sorts of crazy outdoor weather conditions. And that's what you need when you're going to start filming dudes jumping dunes and dudes free riding but then all of a sudden like this crazy little kid comes along and starts doing some crazy stuff and then all of a sudden it's like hey people want to start doing that in front of people so yeah you you watch the film what i just said will make more sense if you watch the film excellent excellent movie and the you got to watch it now cuz the people are still relevant in this film the people are still doing it the people are still in action sports, most of them at least, and all of them are pretty much still in motorcycles unless they're dead. And yeah, it's a really, really great film, and it walks you through, uh, you know, the, the very evolution until last week, last uh, Wednesday at uh, sixteen seventy four p.m. A.D., which you know that's earlier in the day. But yeah, I mean, it's literally. Uh, current as of right now, uh, as of this recording. So if you listen to it next week, it may be all obsolete. I I don't know how that's going to work, but it might be. So just watch it if you can. It's on Netflix. It's called Unchained, and it's great. And I'll slap you in the face. And I probably won't do that because I like you and because I can't slap you through your earbuds or in your car speaker. Or I just better quit talking. I'm delusional. I'm crazy. I, I did a long day at work today. Yeah. 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 Uh, 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 uh. Oh, time. Well, I just read something that the Japanese are thinking about doing a reset with the U.S. automotive strategy. And if you think about the way that the automakers operate here in the U.S., you might think that they probably kind of think the same way about motorcycles. Now, what they are doing is they want to do a full push for electronic or electric vehicles. Um, probably electronic vehicles too. But it says that they're reconsidering the strategy in their U.S. after taking in the strong preference by American buyers for SUVs and trucks. Now, I guess in the rest of the world, you don't use trucks that often. Hey, if you're from like London, I know that I know you guys are out there in the Netherlands. You guys never write the show. Uh, there's no time difference like email. Well, there's a huge time difference. Don't get me wrong on that. I know that it's uh, 9342 PMAD over there. But what I'm saying is that I can read the email that you send now. I can read it tomorrow while you're sleeping, while it's nighttime where you are, and it'll still be pertinent. So send me an email. Let me know what the hell is the trend in the Europe and in the other parts of the Europe and in the West and East part of the Europe and Asia, if you listen in Asia. Now, I know we like big clunky cars over here and we like trucks. Uh, If you listen to the uh, stock is definitely square podcast. Um, 
then you know that they both drive trucks and they both hate the Prius and this and that. So Toyota was going to go full EV until I want to say that stock is definitely square, guys. They, I, I'm thinking that, you know, they're gaining some serious traction. They're meeting all sorts of people in the automotive industry and the execs are watching. The execs see the TV shows. The execs know that what's on TV is what sells in the showroom. And, you know, if you watch that guy Fred on Dirt Every Day and even some of the stuff on Roadkill, it's not all about cars. Sometimes there's like SUVs and trucks and stuff. So, it ain't our fault, J-Pan, if we want to buy a big old truck and we don't want to conform to your microcar society just because you live on an extremely populated island and, and we don't. It's probably the same reason that we like big cruisers and, and all-day lollies and giant suckers and big ice cream cones and Cinnabon. I really was getting geared up to talk about this small bike revolution that's coming in 2016. I know I've said it earlier this year that there was going to be a revolution this year with the Euro 4 specs coming on, and I meant it. And if you don't believe me, you should, well, if you're a motorcyclist, you definitely know this small bike invasion that's coming. They've got the Baby Versus. I heard Baby Tenere, the Baby GS from BMW, the Baby Jixer from Suzuki. We've already had small ninjas and CBRs, uh, but the R3 came this year and I don't know. There's a bunch of small, small bikes. And here I thought Royal Enfield coming out with that 400cc Sherpa, what the hell was it? Or the Himalayan. And, you know, I thought there was going to be like bikes stepping up. And, uh, but no, people are going smaller. We like it big here in the US. And we're going to be unfortunately missing out on some of this stuff that's coming over. Uh, Kawasaki was even going to have a ZX3, I believe, or a. Z300, which kind of correlates to their vintage uh, or heritage style Z900 and Z650 that debuted in Milan. And uh, so that what we'll, I guess we'll talk about tiered licensing in another episode just because here's, here's what I think. The, the rest of the world, let's just talk about it here real quickly. Let's touch on it. The rest of the world's gone to tiered licensing. Therefore, People that had never had, uh, well, BMW did have a 450 motocross bike for like a year or two years, but they never had anything sub 650. And a lot of other companies like Harley, you know, the street, once they got rid of the blast, they didn't have anything. So now the street 500, you know, that's 500, but everybody else is going sub. Once the, once the RC 390 and the Duke 390 proved that small bikes are cool and the Kawasaki Ninja 250 and then 300 came out. And everybody like clamored to get a uh, a CB250 and then the R3. Like, you know, year after year after year, these small bikes just kept falling, falling, falling. And now with the tiered licensing gone pretty much uh, a part of the safety standard across Europe as well as ABS, you're seeing these small kick-ass bikes that still haul ass. They now have ABS and now they're legal for learners. And now they offer you some bang for your buck. I always talk about how I've ridden big bikes in the past and they're good for what they do, but getting around here, man, I just, you know, there's sometimes like you can't urban drive urban around here on a big bike. And I've split so many lanes, uh, on my little two fifty. I would have never been able to make it, uh, on, you know, the 1100 or definitely the V-Star. 
none of that stuff. Those bikes were just, they were hard enough to even do a a 50 foot turn, you know, let alone waddle through traffic. So I, I really think there's a, there's a place for the small bike market here. And, uh, if J pans looking here to, you know, we're, we're hogging down trucks and SUVs, maybe it's to haul small bikes, who knows, but I think we're going to miss out. They, they, you could see that there's a huge car and, uh, no push for EV. So I'm kind of, I was I was optimistic that the uh, Mugen Shinden would be coming out and, you know, with Alta Motors doing the straight rhythm uh, and, you know, Zero coming in full effect. I hear about Zero all the time now on Cleveland Moto. I was just hoping that this small bike slash electric bike craze would take over, especially with all this retro movement that I previously talked about how the heritage classics are coming back and most bikes didn't used to be big ass bikes they were kind of smaller you know 175 to 350 stuff over that was considered a big ass sled thus you know the desert sled so anyway yeah i uh we're, we're gonna miss out on this i don't know if many of these bikes are gonna come over to the u.s i guess i'll see next friday at uh ims but yeah just no another thing i noticed via a stock um not stock is for squares, but via a stocks, uh, following the stock market and seeing that Japanese automakers, you should have seen how many they had listed down here for people that are, uh, reevaluating the market. I mean, it affects a lot of people and, um, yay for us. We're going to keep our big, big trucks and stuff, but man, we're, we're going to prolonging some of this stuff that we could have right now. Uh, and I'm, don't even know. I don't even have the numbers to talk about market saturation and are we too saturated right now to have a big, uh, you know, to expand our market out? Because some of them said uh, some of these Japanese automakers were saying that they've the market has peaked and uh, they didn't want to like reinvest a bunch of stuff. They're going to see some net losses because uh, you know development and stuff. They have to keep redoing something that should have matured, and they're basically paying to keep the thing alive now that you know isn't moving on. So I kind of wonder if the motorcycle industry is like that. And I, I'll have to do a little bit more research and studying on that. We'll come across that in a later episode. But um, yeah, just looking at the stocks makes me wonder. Are we ever going to go electric? Are we ever going to go small? Do we have too much on our plate to have these little side dishes as well? Let's quit talking about it since it's a non-issue. Get on to something that happened this Tuesday in America that affected the world. My panini. This Tuesday, folks, victory. I was made aware of their Octane build-off. Maybe I was made aware before that, but Tuesday is the day I really started paying attention. Do you guys remember when the Bolt came out? Remember the Bolt biker build-off back in 2013? All the dealerships got to build stuff. I think Roland Sand, when I first saw the Bolt at IMS, they had pimped it out to a few people, and Roland Sands, Jesse Rook, and Pelegi Designs had three of my favorite Bolts, and they were all Street Tracker-themed, you know, Okay, I'm a big dirt track fan. And uh, yeah, they were all street tracker themed. Well, now Victory is doing the same thing with the Octane. Now, I don't remember Harley ever worrying too much about sponsoring a company-wide uh, bike build-off. And, you know, to their detriment because they're they're starting to go down and decline now. So you got, I don't think there was a an Indian build-off either, like a Scout build-off. But this Octane build-off is pretty bitchin'. If you go to victorymotorcycles.com for... Uh, and look up 
Operation Octane, you will see some of the most bitchin' builds. Now, some of them are crappy, just like the Bolt uh, build-off. There were some dealerships that just kind of grabbed stuff off the parts bin, threw it on the bike. It didn't really look that great. Uh, you're like, hey, dude, you just bolted a bunch of accessories on. But uh, there were some that were built to the hilt and taken to a shop or, you know, custom-built like frame off builds and that's how some of these are the king octane that meh doesn't look i mean it looks like they did some fenders on it but the race car inspired octane is pretty sweet but then they have the octane track 200 and it kind of just looks like uh, an octane there's a sweet cafe racer one called the michael delaney and it actually has a bespoke seat and like rear fender and stuff. And it actually looks pretty pimp. Like they actually took their time and it's got the golf racing, uh, you know, colors on it, which I really like the Motoplex street tracker looks pretty cool. It kind of reminds me of the stealth by noise cycles that like drop rear fender and victory emblazoned across the tank and, uh, the, the bucket headlight without, you know, without the fairing on it. So I think that one looks pretty bitchin'. Also, I like the big ass chunky tires on it. Then you drop down to the desert racer. And I just really like the way that one looks because it looks like you could probably take it across, you know, speaking of desert sled, it doesn't look quite like a desert sled, but it does look like you could uh, do fire roads with it. And it's got some uh, saddlebags, soft saddlebags on it. Um, I'm going to drop down to the ones, the octane lightning doesn't look that great. It looks like they chopped off like a ninja uh, tail section and tried to splice it on there and it doesn't look that great with the front of the bike that's why it's important as a bike designer to take the whole concept into the account before just splattering a piece of one style bike onto a piece of another style bike uh, the high octane looks very similar but they did their uh, tail section slightly better it almost looks like the project 156 boiled down into a street and then you got the mrs sharker which looks fine the, uh, you know, I'm not going to name them all off because they, there's a bunch of them that look very similar. But then you get down to the General Lee Cafe. I'm a big sucker for uh, the Dukes of Hazard because I grew up watching that show and I kind of like this one. It looks like you took an old uh, CZ or something. I, well, the front end, let me just describe to you. The front end looks like a, a World War II motorcycle that could have been affixed to like a half track or um, ridden through the battlefields. And the back end looks like a 1970s super bike with like the square box section and the truncated rear end and the big old taillight back there. So it looks like it's half Eddie Lawson and half like military vehicle from the 40s. So I don't know. I kind of I dig it, though. I just I dig those colors. They were tasteful enough uh, not to put the rebel flag on it now that that's been outlawed by America. By the way, America has been speaking recently. America has spoke up about what they like and what they don't like. Um, so, yeah, that's a good one. But drop down, and that one that's been all over Bike XF is on here. And I have to say, the number 76 is all it's called. And that is the sweetest looking mofo I have seen. And this is just basically the things that you can do with the Victory. This has the right stance. This has the right trim. Uh, they trimmed everything down, took off the headlight, took off the blinkers, removed any of the excess shellang and blang, and kind of stripped it down, put some DT1s on it, and it looks the tits, my friend. Or if you're a lady, it looks your tits. 
and it is just a fantastic looking bike and I don't know I just it's amazing what you can do with the victory how awesome you can make them look and it's surprising to me after seeing all of these and how different they can look and just how different the same bike is depending on whose hands it gets into uh, going back to the modular thing and going back to making it easier for people to customize and and what Harley's missing out on. This is case in point right here. And I just wanted to say, I, I've got to go soon, so I'm going to cut this uh, segment a little short. But yeah, go check out the, the, uh, the Operation Octane. See which one you like. And uh, if you don't like none of them, you, I mean, it's crazy because it's a big cruiser, right? The Octane, but it's like a power cruiser. It's a little bit like a VMAX or something. And then when you see what people can do with them, you're like, wow, that doesn't look half bad. Like, yeah, it kind of can look like a Harley bagger or it can look like a cafe racer straight out of the, the late 60s. Um, yes. So now that I got that booger that was on your hand off my mind, I'd like to ask, uh, finish this show out with something that happened huge this Tuesday worldwide. It was, yeah, you know, that guy, that one guy in your neighborhood that always drives the crappy bike or the real crummy car went by your house and you always thought to yourself, where does that guy live? Well, that happened to me this week. Uh, this Tuesday, I was kicking it live, solo, woo, recording here in the uh, creative nuisance podcast household of extraordinary delights. And and that, that guy cruised by on that bike. And I thought, dude, that thing's just old enough to be a real hunk of junk, but Somehow he's got it cleaned up, and I don't know if it's cool or fool. And where does that guy live? Where did this in your town when you see that car, or you're like, oh, I know where those guys live. Where is that? Like, you know, they're riding around in a rusty old F, whatever it used to be, an F250, but it's from the 70s. So it had like a huge, gigantic V8 and like four wheel drive. And you're like, that's a Ranger? Holy crap. Like, Rangers nowadays have like a one liter, you know, one tire fire. And wow, that's, I can't believe that's that old rusty bucket. And there's that dude is still driving that thing around. Yeah. There's a guy like that that lives down the street from me, but I don't live in that part of town. That's what I'm getting at. Where do those folks live that have that bike? You know what I mean? Or that car? Uh, for me, I think it's Rialto. I think that's probably where all things go to die. If you're like somewhere around the LA area and you're like, dude, just sweep it out to Rialto. You know what I mean? Like there's nothing out there but RV junkyards. I think that's where you would find, quote, that bike. If you were, um, unless you're in my garage, then there's my bike. So that bike. So, but yeah, in my, in my 
in LA County, I think Rialto would be the city where you would find that bike. Either like the way Wango Tango bike that's so fool that it is cool, or just like this old crazy bike that shouldn't be running by all accounts, but for whatever reason, it's still like got some shiny paint. You're like, wow, that was like a 1981. And the paint looks like they just painted it yesterday. You know, how do you keep this hunk of junk that's out here? in Rialto from getting eaten by the sun and the metal worms. Cause yeah, in Rialto there's this like breed of worm that eats through metal. And yeah, so I, I just feel like Rialto is that part of town where you find all that weird stuff. You'll be driving down the street and Holy crap. Someone's got like, uh, the original Kawasaki H2 in their, uh, front yard, you know what I mean? Covered with the tarp and like there's a tire and some plywood leaning on it. And you're like, holy shit. That's like the widow maker in your front yard. Or like they have a bike that Eddie Lawson actually rode and it'll just be like right behind their bass boat. And it'll be like super pristine, but it'll have like a kid's car seat and like a blanket over it. Um, so yeah, I feel like Rialto is one of those places where you can find that stuff just like the most incredible it's like i forget where they found the last shelby cobra the um the coupe the daytona coupes but it was some rich chick whose father had had it and it was in her barn and she was a hoarder and just like literally everything she had hoarded for the last 25 years was piled on top of this daytona coupe and once they got this bulldozer in there to like get everything out of the barn. They're like, holy shit, this Daytona coupe. It's like, it's like discovering a Mayan temple. Cause once we took all the dirt and rubble off of it, the temple underneath is pristine. Like even the, the lime is, is on the face of it where everything else has been eroded by time. I feel like that's how some of these, these bikes are, uh, that you find like out in these places, like had, so many chickens have nested and shit on it that when you got out a leaf blower and you blew all the feathers off, like their feathers actually protected the paint from the elements. So yeah, Rialto, Rialto, California, look it up on a map. That's where I I have a feeling some of this place is because it's kind of halfway between like, you know, what kind of fades out from the metropolitan sprawl that is LA and it's before you get out into like San Berdu and all that stuff like all the gentrifying imperial or what do they call it? the inland empire out there where like things are starting to get nice but you still have like all the hell's angels and mongols hanging out out there and it's like you know still kind of wild westy so they're like sweeping their shit to Rialto all of LA is sweeping their shit to Rialto and then you got like down south like El Monte and Whittier and stuff and they're just like too busy doing all their industrial crap and they don't need this stuff anymore so they sweep it up to Rialto and I have a, I just have this feeling that Rialto is one of those places where if you wanted to find a crazy quirky bike maybe even stuffed in the back of one of those motorhomes that's in one of the motorhome graveyards out there like hey dude I need a new fan for my motorhome we're gonna be hauling my bikes out to the desert here now that the weather's cooling off and uh you know my fan switch for my 73 uh, Concord blew out and I needed to get a new one. And you go out there and he's like, yeah, I think this one's got one. And you climb into this old rusty stale motorhome that's got green moss growing all over it. And inside where it used to be the shower is there it is. It's just kicking like the last Norton commando that was imported to the States. You know what I mean? And you're like, wow, wow. That bike is the same year as this motorhome. And it was probably their last trip. And then they just, the grandpa died and they just, Gave everything to this junkyard, and there it is, Rialto. 
where's your town, America, or not America, any place that's hearing this? Where's where's your town? Email email the show or stick it on the Facebook page. Let's start a thread about this because I'd like to. I'd like to be the show that discovers one of those crazy hidden graveyards. Like I just recently saw all those motorbikes and cars under Naples, like some secret tunnel under Naples that has all that stuff in there. I want to be the show that finds like this weird collection of stuff. And uh, I might actually go out to Rialto next weekend and see what I can dig up. So we'll see if we'll see if my hunch is true. But yeah, where's your town, everybody? Now, let's talk about what really happened last Thursday before I closed the show out. And by Thursday, I meant Tuesday. All right, everybody, are you ready for the greatest drag race in the world? We're here today at uh, Washington, D.C. Raceway, and we're going to be covering the uh, drag race tonight between... uh, the two candidates on the block this year. You know, there are three, more than two candidates, but uh, let's face it. Those third-party candidates really are just doing like a test and tune. You know what I mean? The, the, they're not real serious, if you ask me. And uh, so we're, we're here to watch the spectacle that has been growing for the last year between the two candidates. Donald J. Eisenhower Trump... And Hillary B. Woodstock Clinton. Now, tonight's racing matchup is based on a rich history for Hillary Clinton. She's going to be coming out tonight. Uh, She has had years and years walking around the paddock here at Washington, D.C. Dragway. And uh, we're going to see what she can do tonight. She's got all the experience, and uh, Donald J. Eisenhower Trump has no racing experience. So this is going to be a great battle. So uh, let's see what they could do. Okay, the racers are at the line. They've done their smoky burnouts. This has been called the race for the nation by many in Washington. And here we go. The lights are yellow. Oh, my God. Clinton dumps it on the start. Oh, all of her years of racing experience did not pay off. Oh, that was a horrible start. They've shifted into third, fourth. Oh, my God. They're going down. Oh, my God. Donald J. Trump, no racing experience, pulls out in the lead. Oh, my God. Oh, he's passing Senator Graham and Bush. He takes his hand off the bar to flip them the bird for not supporting him on the in the paddock. Oh, my God. They're in seventh gear. They're going down the track. Trump has a lead. Oh, my God. The people down in the end of the bleach from Washington's heads are spinning. They can't believe it. This guy who they predicted wouldn't win against this lady with all this experience is just leaps and bounds ahead. Boy, she really messed up on the start there. He got the whole shot. He came on. They're both on the spray. They're shifting into 19th gear right now, as you can hear. They're headed down through the Florida. Oh, the Florida. This is a. This was a made a big difference in a race a couple years ago. Oh, he passes through Florida. He passes through Virginia. Oh, my God. Trump is, is ahead. I can't believe it. And here comes Clinton, but it's not going to be enough. They're in 19th gear. Oh, I misspoke. 25th gear, 26th gear. And here they come toward the final stretch. The crowd is shaking in anticipation. Trump supporters are going wild. Red hats are flying out onto the track. This is worse than King of the Streets. They're in 31st gear. They're heading down toward the finish line. I can't believe it. Oh, Clinton should have campaigned a little hotter in Wisconsin. She got a, could have gotten some help from our friends in, in Waukesha. Oh, she just, they sprayed at the same time. They launched, she just duffed it there on the start. I can't believe it. They're heading, to, they're, in, they're, in, they're nearing 40th gear and they're heading toward the White House right now. Oh my God, coming across the line is Trump. Oh my God. Oh my 
I don't think anyone in Washington believed it could happen, but Trump has taken the victory on his KTM-powered drag bike, and Clinton, with all of her years of experience, has lost the race. Women and children are crying in the stands. Democrats are barfing everywhere. Red hats are flying. I can't believe it, folks. The pundits and, and all of the experts are going to be going back and rewriting this down in history. Oh, everybody, is this a nightmare or a dream come true? We won't know until next racing season. Hey, that's our show this week. Uh, a little bit shorter than normal. Uh, I promised Johnny J from Johnny J and the Flatfoot Flugies that I'd give him a big shout out and play Tiger Cub on the show this week. So here we go, Johnny. I held up the tides on Monday So I could show the boys that's gone If they lose a little lead Just fill them up some baby i think he flat tracked his tiger cub if i'm not mistaken uh up in idaho anyway yeah go check out johnnyjswing.com uh buy their album live from the black house now and uh maybe i can get a copy for uh to give out to one of you guys if you guys like that sort of music even if you don't you want to give it somebody for christmas christmas is coming up maybe i can get a, a, an advanced maybe a signed copy oh, i th- I should work on that. So, uh, yeah, we'll hear from Johnny J pretty soon. It is doing what I said earlier. It's getting to be wintertime up in that part of the world. And pretty soon they'll be cruising around on their two-stroke snow machines uh, rather than cruising around on their motorbikes. And the rest of you probably will be too. We're not going to talk about it on this episode, but we will talk about storing your bikes because winter's coming. And so let's leave this show with a little bit of a tech tip. And a DIY tech tip and and a quick tale, uh, the tale of two helmets. (laughs) I just made that up. So when Liza and Jim were down, Liza let me try on this this helmet. And I think it was a Scorpion AT950, I want to say. It was like an adventure bike helmet. It had a visor. I've always wondered why normal helmets don't have a little bit of a sun visor. Because when you're riding in the sun, it would be nice. Just like cock your head down a little bit and have it block out the sun. Some people I've seen... Uh, put tape or like a uh, spray paint their helmet and they, they'll spray paint the visor. Don't do that. Why would you do that? Uh, it really messes up the resale value on it and uh, makes it inconvenient for someone else if they want to wear your helmet and don't like that. Get a helmet with a visor and the visor pops off on this helmet. It's a pretty bitchin' helmet. I looked at it. I think it retailed around... 289 or maybe even less than that, uh, 259, something like that. So it's not a, a super expensive helmet. It's a rather nicely priced helmet. And it made me think about my helmet. Now, I have a helmet. I got it uh, five years ago now, I believe. And it's time for a new one. Not because helmets aren't good after five years, but because 
it's kind of falling apart. And uh, the liner is still holding up real good. It's not quite as snug as it used to be, which is normal, you know, five years. Um, the material this didn't hold up real well. Is it an awry? No. Is it a showy? No. Uh, it's not even like an HJC or anything like that. It's a shark helmet. No, 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 not shark. It's not a shark helmet. It's a Sparks. Sparks helmet. I don't even think they're around anymore. Uh, one of those helmet companies that went out of business. Um, but the helmet has held up really nice and there it was the, the features on it for such a cheap helmet. I think it was like 120 or 150 bucks. Uh, Maybe it was even a little more than that. I, I don't remember, but the features on it are just awesome. And it's I have an uh, an old Arai, and oh no, I'm sorry, I have an old Showy that uh, I really liked. And this thing kind of feels better than that did. I mean, and it vents better. Uh, the only thing, the only complaint I would say is the wind noise. But I think my Showy had some wind noise, and um, I had an old autocross helmet that I used to wear all the time um, before I got a proper motorcycle helmet. And, you know, I figured SA rating on that thing, right? I mean, it's a it's a car racing helmet. It's probably uh, made to last pretty good, but they're, they're constructed slightly different than motorcycle helmets. And um, so it got me thinking about that helmet. Liza, let me try it on. Oh, the thing was cherry. It was modular, so it flips up in the front, or you can, uh, you know, flip the uh, little, and it has a sunscreen in it, which flips down, which is nice because at hot August nights last year in 2015, I got caught out out at Paris Raceway with my tinted shield on and coming home from Paris to the uh, LA area, uh, there's nothing out in Paris, like no street lights or anything. So I couldn't see the freaking freeway. So I had to flip open the visor and at 70 miles an hour, was it's kind of out and, um, you know, the IE where I was talking about like Rialto, <laughs> real dusty out there in Paris. And so all this dust is flying in my eyes and who knows what road debris and all this stuff, little tiny pebbles getting flicked up from my tires and everything else flying into my face. I didn't like it. And I thought I'm an idiot for not bringing a clear shield. So this helmet deal, little flip down sunshade, but bam. So I'd like to thank Liza for turning me onto that helmet. Cause it's kind of got everything I I'm looking for. The color was was pretty pimp ass. Um, it, like I said, you could take that little ADV visor off if you're going to be doing over 112 miles an hour and that thing's going to cause some buffeting on your head, but it had vents. Like I just, I don't understand why, uh, like guys don't wear more stuff with visors. Like, Oh, it's ADV to have a visor. Like, dude, it's common sense to have a visor and block some sun. Right. So ADV my ass. Like I've always wondered why every helmet didn't look like master commander from Halo or whatever the guys from Halo is called. I just know they have helmets that look like ADV helmets. But I don't know why we even call them ADV helmets. We should call them PS helmets for practical sense. Um, PCS, practical common sense helmets. But anyway, I I think I'm going to be looking into one of those uh, a few episodes ago. I said, don't forget your tape, right? Because if your gloves happen to rip like mine did right on the seam, leather gloves, but they're just so old, I guess, because uh, I got them about five years ago as well. Uh, they just, they shredded. So it's like, hey, glove time, got some gloves, helmet time now. So going to be looking into a helmet. Um, if you've got any suggestions, I'm not really a big gear guy. I've had listeners write into the show and... Um, talk about gear and ask me about gear. And it's like, I'm not like a big gear nerd. Um, so I really don't know. As a matter of fact, let's look at what's in some of the inbox right now. Dear creative writing, listen to your show. Why don't you drive really take a very long trip off short bridge? I'm going to skip that one. 
Dear Creative Writing, you are overdue on your payment. Okay. Oh, I'm just going to skip the mails right now. We'll we'll get to mail in another episode. Um, but but yeah, if you have suggestions for helmets uh, or gear, um, you know this is going to be you're, you're not going to be out riding if you're living in certain parts of the country. So this is a perfect time to start thinking about gearing up and getting. You're going to be getting out your cold weather gear that probably lasts because it doesn't. You don't wear it as often. But um, you know if you've got some other other things that uh, you you like to wear during hot or or warm weather, let me know because that's what what I usually ride in. It doesn't get usually colder than fifty out here in California. So um, yeah, we're talking like something. Uh, you know, light. I need, I need, I have a really, really small head too. Um, so if you know that they make helmets for like dogs or cats, it'll probably fit me. And uh, yeah, so at any rate, yeah, let's, I let, um, uh, might talk about winter gear when I talk about winterizing your bikes. And I think we'll save it for next episode. Uh, the DIY tech tip I want to give you for this episode. Well, stay tuned. All right, we're back. That was the world's shortest break. I've always wanted to do that. Thought now that I have my own show, I should. So uh, yeah, this week's tech tip is based on an episode of Radiolab that I just heard. Maybe it was Freakonomics. I don't remember. I told you all the podcasts I listened to, so now you go listen to them too. Quit listening to this one and go listen to one that'll actually teach you something, huh? But uh, at any rate, yeah, this is based on the the benefits of of incrementalism. I didn't even listen to it yet, but I'm guessing that it's about doing things in little steps. You know what I mean? And uh, that's what I wanted to get to is now that winter's here, um, if you feel like you've got to just like blast something out in three months, you're going to do a crappy job, especially if you're just starting your restoration now or you're just starting... uh, making the plans for that killer build that you're going to do. And you're just kind of getting into the planning stages right now. You got a long way to go. So don't, don't put it down on paper and then just go out and do it. Some people can do that, but very few people succeed. Did I just say very few people? (laughs) I might have those stinky people. Uh, But yeah, very few people succeed in doing the rush job like that. Perhaps they're the type of person that molds it over in their head or has molded enough things over in their head and made enough plans that they're just kind of using bits and pieces of what they had uh, in their brain and, and have done before. And they're just kind of cobbling it together and they, they know how to execute and stuff like that. But if you're just doing something for the first time, you're getting a new bike, you're doing an engine rebuild, you're doing all that stuff. Don't, don't forget about the incremental things that you can do. Don't, you know, you can, you can go out like right this week. I thought I was going to have a bunch of free time. My family's even out of the town right now. I've had the last couple of days to chill, but I got to go pick someone up at the airport. They're bringing in this huge shipment of non FDA approved banana slicers. So I got to go pick them up and, and, and do that. And it's pretty important, but uh, I thought I'd have a lot of time to do stuff this week, and I just didn't. Uh, this week totally got away from me. I got to start my bike like three times. I rode it around, you know, less than five miles probably. So I was really bummed. I just had this huge ride planned. And didn't do it. Incremental things. At least I got a ride, right? At least I got to start my bike. Probably not enough to charge the battery, so that's a b- bummer. But uh, the other thing is that I've been doing an engine rebuild. I've been doing a bunch of little things here and there, uh, even like making some body panels, things like that. Doing them step by step, doing a little bit here and a little bit there. Uh, if you're rebuilding the carb, you're doing it for the first time, maybe you want to do it in an evening 
and you know you're not going to rebuild the whole engine, but maybe you want to take something like that and break it down so that you don't forget how the pieces go. You know, it's always important to take stuff apart and put it back the way uh, it went, and uh, make sure you put everything in the right order so you don't want to forget. Um, but if you're tearing apart your motor or something like that, or you're building the bike from the ground up, uh, you know, focus on the wheels. Get the wheels done all the way. Get them powder coated. Get the right sizes. Get some new rubber for them. Whatever you're going to do. Do that. Don't worry about like, oh, I got to go do this and I got to go, you know, unless you're on like a time frame for some custom bike build, then you got time to do this. And that goes with anything, whether or not your, uh, your art is drawing, whether it's coding, whether, you know, whatever it is. And, and I know they're all motorcycle related if you're listening to this podcast. So that's cool, man. It's cool. You might be coding a website for Revzilla for all I know. But what, what I'm getting at is that whatever your creativity is and whatever you're doing, um, do it in increments and little by little, you, you'll get the whole picture. You'll get the skills. And, um, you listen to motorcycles and this podcast, uh, Liza's saying that a lot of people come there as like non riders and they leave as expert mechanics. Well, maybe, maybe she's not going that far, but she is saying stuff like, you know, people come in on these, uh, bikes that are, you know, they don't know a thing about, or they get a bike thrown at them. And she says, Hey, fix this. Or, Hey, this is broke on your bike. Let's do this. And now people can rebuild. I think Mike rebuilt pumpkin like 15 times and then sold it. So incrementalism, incrementalism, things in small amounts gets, gets things done. And and I read an inspirational quote by a guy one time regarding fitness that said, um, it was something to the effect of, uh, like a bunch of little things every day adds up pretty quickly to like the f- big picture. It was way more clever than that. And God, it was probably, it probably even rhymed. It was probably really cool. It's probably like a good t-shirt idea, but I just can't remember. But you know, small changes every day basically gets you in the, by the end of the year, gets you, uh, your end thing is 365, uh, opportunities to do something little every single day, even if it's only for five, 10 minutes. Um, you know, by the end of the year that adds up to 300, whatever 365 times five is, um, I'm no mathematician, but I think it's uh 412. So yeah. Anyway, incrementalism, baby. That's my, my DIY tech tip for this week. Um, go out, do something small. Don't don't do something big this week. Go do something small and see if it makes a big difference down the line. All right, let's get out of here. I think I have a sorry list compiled. And instead of my little beatbox that I made, let's do some fun music that I made. Creative Writing and its associates would like to apologize to the following people, places, things, companies, and whatnot. On a motorcycle company, Mugen Shinden. Zero motorcycles. Joey Mac 420 on YouTube. BMW. Ducati Motor Company. BSA. Birmingham Small Arms in Jawa and Mahindra. Yamaha Motor Company. Unchained the Movie. Old Dudes on Mobility Scooters. Baboons. Taylor Slade Johnson and Marcus Hugeface Slade. The Stock Isn't Square podcast. FMX. Travis Gravy Balls Pastrana. We'd like to apologize to the White House, Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, and their both respective campaigns. We'd like to 
apologize to the state of Wisconsin and the town of Waukesha. The Victory Octane, the Yamaha Bolt, the Octane Challenge, or what I call it, the Bolt Biker Build-Off, Jesse Rook Roland Sands and Mitch Pelegi Designs. Sorry to IMS Motor Show Long Beach. See you next Friday, bitch. And we're sorry to Chuck from Wheel Nerds, who I've hooked up with via text. Hopefully we'll meet him at IMS and it won't fall through like the Christopher Ashmore spooky Halloween ride did. All right, baby, peace. Let's hear some of this music, huh? I'm getting down on this Friday night. Oh, and sorry to Honer Harmonicas, who I was playing earlier today. Made in Germany, quality craftsmanship. Can't beat a Honer with your boner. Also, sorry to Triumph Motorcycles, the Tiger Cub, and our good friend Johnny J over at johnnyjswing.com. Go check him out. I'm going to ask him for an autographed album that we can give to one of you yahoos that likes that type of old-style music, baby. All right. Keep your hair in the air and a wank on your tank. Oh, jeez. Yokohama, my mama. And uh, if that doesn't make any sense, what I just said, and that's perfectly par for the course of this podcast. Should I edit that out? Probably I should edit that out. <sighs> I don't know. Ducati. The Triumph Bobber will probably sell better over here than, you know, yeah, I think that uh, when you see something, when the media makes something per se, and they are <laughs> per se, <laughs> per se, shame. do people not think that? Uh, societally uh, responsible, you know, people that that is, and then you think, what am I even trying to say? God damn it.